This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 258. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Mr. Producer, Matthew Marister. <laughs> What's going on? Nothing much, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me back into the fold. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and Matthew is the guy that is older than he looks. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what you said. We had that conversation today in the, in a meeting, and uh, it's, it's always I, I'm always somehow reminded that like I'm the oldest guy out of everybody, but I'm not that old. But like I feel <laughs> old when I look around, and I'm like, dude, why am I the oldest one here? But, yeah. <laughs> we were talking about middle age, and yeah, uh, th- right. there was quite a bit of discussion on on what constitutes middle age, and because uh, I, I you know I I told the team I said, hey, uh, I, I take offense at being called middle aged. But then it dawned, um, you know, and most of our team is is Jacob and, my, and Jacob and I are the same age, and uh, you know, most of our team is close to our age or or even younger, and uh, and then there's Matthew, <laughs> which I forget <laughs> well, because you don't look that old, bro, and and you certainly uh, don't act thanks. like it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty immature, but um, yeah, I'm 43, so I just keep my hair short so the gray doesn't show. I try to shave as much as I can because my gr- beard gets gray and. You know, I'm short, so I don't, you know, and I guess it, it all kind of goes in with the, uh, you know, I can, you know, I could always get in the like amusement parks when I was a kid and there's like cut off as a five. I'm like seven years old. My parents are sneaking me in. I could be under five, right? So yeah. <laughs> I, I can't get away with that with my kids because all of my kids are big for their age. So we get, we get the questioning stare like, sure, he's only two. <laughs> You know, when when my little Jack, who was just a, a monster of a kid, now he's three, but when he was two, he looked like he was three or four. He's as tall <laughs> as some of my uh, some of the kindergartners at my uh, daughter's school, and That's he crazy. he won't be in kindergarten for two more years. Anyway, it's uh, I know it, it's funny, man. So um, today we're gonna be talking about maximizing your training, how how you can get the most out of your training if you happen to be shooting at a restrictive range. Now, many of you, because of where you live or whatever it is, you you, you might only have one option that you can use reasonably for uh, a, a gun range where you can go shoot and train and all that stuff, right? And that one gun range might be an indoor range. And a lot of times indoor ranges have stricter rules or procedures than outdoor ranges. Or it might even be an outdoor range too. That Sometimes I've seen those as well where they just have kind of you know somewhat strict rules, especially with defensive shooters in mind. You know, the traditional model of a gun range for so much of America is is kind of the classic, you know, bullseye style shooting or target shooting. You know, they, they're well set up maybe with benches and maybe even a covered shooting area, but you only shoot from this bench, you know, from this this table, from this specified point uh, down some distance, uh, you know, and, and you're not able to go in front of that firing line or you're not able to really move or you're not able to maybe even use multiple targets. Um, so regardless if it's an indoor or outdoor range, today we're talking about restrictive ranges as far as ones that don't allow you to train the way that you might like to train with a defensive context in mind. And so 
tips, tricks, and what we can do to get the most out of those types of ranges when we find ourselves uh, uh, shooting at that kind of range, right? So that's the uh, that's the idea for today's episode. Today's episode is made possible and brought to you by Andrew Brinka's Law of Self Defense webinar replay. Now, quick an, an apology. I st- even as we record this, Matthew, I still have not published Tuesday's episode of this week because I've been so busy with other projects. Um, and uh, it, it, I, I, that's my like number one thing to do once we're done, when, once we're off air here today, is to get episode 257 published. Now, in that episode, a sponsor was the Law of Self-Defense webinar, which has already come and gone. <laughs> so I apologize for that. But here's the deal. We have a replay of that webinar. Chances are if you missed it, or maybe you already were aware that that the webinar was happening, but you couldn't attend either of those two times that we had, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. and and, uh, and then Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, if you couldn't make those sessions and, you're, and you still like to go watch that content, uh, then you can still do that by watching the replay of that webinar where Andrew does a fantastic presentation on the basics of law of self-defense. And then we open it for questions and at, and answers uh, for participants. And plus there's some special offers and opportunities opportunities you can take advantage of in that webinar. That some, some of which were only available while the webinar was live, but there's still some really special deals going on uh, that uh, if you watch the replay, you'll get the specifics on what those deals are and how you can take advantage of them. And that's all, but here's the catch. Okay, today I will be publishing episode 257 and this episode 258, and you have until Sunday night. I'm sorry, that's 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 how short the window is, but you only have until Sunday evening. This that's that would be September 23rd at 11:59 p.m. So basically midnight, and that's Mountain Time. So 11:59 p.m. Mountain Time Sunday is when the cutoff is to be able to watch that replay of the webinar, and then it and then it's it's going to be taken down. So uh, you're going to want to you know make some time this weekend and uh, take in. It's about two hours long, uh, and it's good stuff. So how can you find that webinar, the replay? Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D webinar. Okay. Concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D webinar. All right. I didn't say that the greatest webinar. L-O-S-D-W-E-B-I-N-A-R. All right. And it was incredible. I, I sat through the whole thing and um, if you, were you on like the edge the, of your seat, weren't you? <laughs> no, but you know, if, and, and a lot of people like the case of the week and Andrew Brinka does an awesome job and just imagine the case of the week for a webinar explaining really in depth, um, self-defense law and, and everybody can benefit from that without a doubt. I mean, I, even with those videos that are popping up and circulating the dude that, sh- you know, this father and son that shot the other guy in the alley and all this stuff, people have no idea, honestly, about self-defense law, really. Um, and so it's an incredible opportunity. I, I would, you know, I'd highly suggest listening to it. Nice. Well, thanks for your awesome endorsement. All right. So today's episode is also brought to you by Guardian Nation. And specifically, I want to remind you of our 15% discount available to Guardian Nation members. And that's a 15% discount off of an already existing or a new USCCA membership, any level of membership at USCCA. And the details are found as far as now, if you have an existing USCCA membership, it's only going to like, for instance, if you're paying, you know, annually for your membership, 
unfortunately, it's not like they're going to send you 15% of what you just paid for this year back. Um, but your next renewal from there on, there on and there forth, as long as you remain a Guardian Nation member, you'll get 15% off your USCCA membership. That is fantastic. That is that is worth, at, uh, especially at the highest tiers of USCC membership, that's worth more than two months of Guardian Nation membership. You get two months for free, basically, is how I think of it, just by continuing your USCCA membership and uh, making sure that you remain an active member of Guardian Nation. That's an awesome, awesome deal. And we have another really amazing deal for members coming here. I think we'll get that announced next week, maybe. Jacob said for sure by October 1st. So there's still some details we're working out. Uh, the details behind the scenes are basically done, but we got to do some things on our end on the website and, and whatnot before we can really push it out and go live. But uh, as Jacob teased in episode 257, it has to do with saving money on ammo. Yeah. So cool. it's going to be cool. Ammo's already cheap, and if it can get any cheaper, it's just that's just icing on the cake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also want to remind uh, members of our members-only Facebook group, which is taking off and is awesome. And uh, the only way you can join that group is if you're a member of Guardian Nation, and so you might want to do that. And if you haven't done so, and, and you are a GN member, make sure you go join that Facebook group. Okay, if you if you can search on Facebook, Guardian Nation uh, members, I I can't remember exact, I think that's the name, and uh, and then just ask to join. As long as you're a member, we will verify. We will look at your membership records and and verify that you are in fact a, uh, an active member, and then we'll let you join the group. All right. So uh, that's all I got. Uh, and also stay tuned. We haven't done this in a while because I don't know we get busy or we have episodes and content that just is too beefy, but we will have a pick of the week this week for today's episode. So stay tuned till uh, close to the end and uh, we will share with you, uh, Matthew and mine, uh, our, our picks this week. So maximizing training at a restrictive range. All right. So let, let's break down like what are some of the common restrictions we see. Okay. And then we can start to talk about how we might overcome those limitations. Right. So mm-hmm. the First one I, I think of is, and this is a real obvious big one for me, Matthew, is drawing from a holster. Many, right. many, many ranges don't allow uh, members or uh, visitors of that range to draw from a holster, present to a target, and fire. Yeah, and then if they do, a lot of times it's only outside waistband. Like it, even if they bend the rules, and um, the the I actually just went to a range yesterday. Uh, indoor range yesterday for the first time in like forever um with a buddy of mine and uh in their their policy is if you go to you you pay them for like an enhanced membership card that shows that you've gone through some training and they'll allow you to draw from the holster but it's only outside the waistband so you can do a little bit more stuff but yeah like you're saying most of the time um you can't even you can't even think about coming out of a holster yeah yep and i'll tell you there's probably even some ranges out there that might be okay with the idea of you drawing from uh, a, an OWB holster or maybe even an IWB holster. But if the range owner saw you coming out of appendix, they might like totally flip out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, I'd love to bust the stigma that surrounds appendix carry. But okay, so that's one obvious one. Uh, we'll come back to that as far as like how you might overcome that. Uh, number two would be uh, shooting and moving right mm-hmm. now, a lot of 
you know, structured ranges have shooting lanes. And so this kind of makes sense, right? Like it, it wouldn't, and it, it wouldn't be appropriate to be on a, on a firing line that has, you know, 12 <laughs> positions and five of them are occupied and you're moving up and down. Like, obviously it's a big time safety issue. So, so we get that. I understand that restriction. Um, where you might be a little bit better suited to be able to shoot and move would be, and it could still be a, 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 you know, an established, you know, structured range, you know, with rules and an organization that runs it and everything that's outdoor, but maybe has some sort of like private berms, individual berms that you can reserve or use and do that kind of thing at. But honestly, those are the, uh, in, in some parts of the country, especially those are the exception rather than the rule as far as ranges go. So many, many times shooters are not able to find a place that they can actually shoot and move or do any sort of, uh, you know, moving about within a, 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 a berm, right? So that, that's a challenging one as well. The third thing that comes to mind is shooting rapid fire. And rap, mm-hmm. I don't know how you define rapid fire, um, but I have seen some ranges that would suggest that anything faster than one shot per second is rapid fire, right? right. Which is kind of ridiculous to some, you know, skilled shooters as far as like, for me, a half second split is slow. You know, like if, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm trying to shoot rapidly, like, like a quarter second split is, is even still a little on the slow-ish side. Um, it's, 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 that's, that's better, but you know, like, you know, there's plenty of times where I'm running a drill. Like if I'm trying to shoot a build drill as fast as I can, uh, my splits are like 0.17, 0.18 between shots. So you're, you're getting off close to six shots in a second, which makes sense because like the golden standard in a build drill, like, like, you know, top tier, like you are an awesome shooter, not to prop myself up too much. Uh, have I achieved build drill in less than two seconds? Yes, I have. Uh, it's not easy. But basically what you're talking about is it, at least getting your gun out of the holster and first shot on target within one second. And then you've got five more shots that you got to complete, you know, within the next second. Uh, so that kind of you know, gives you a sense of you got to be less than 20th, 20th uh, second sp- uh, splits you know, typically to, to, and still accurate on target to accomplish a build drill in less than two seconds. Well, many, many, many ranges, you can't even do a build drill. And that's Mm -hmm. such a common standard drill, uh, that so many are familiar with, but many are not even able to do at their local range. Yep. So those are three big ones. I'm curious, what are some other things that you've seen, Matthew, as far as, uh, restrictions or rules at ranges? Yeah, so um, I've also seen where um, you can't shoot at any, you know, your target based on how wide your backstop is, you might not be able to hang even like two targets up where, because once you start, you know, um, angling out on the outside targets, you're hitting side berms and stuff like that. So even how wide you can transition between a, a target um, becomes problematic, you know, um, you, you hang that piece of paper up there and it might be what 12 inches wide. That's probably the distance you can traverse rather than going, you know, a target here and a target over there. So, and that's, that's difficult too, because not being able to do that, you know, those are skills, definitely skills moving, you know, outside of this little 12 inch range is, is, is a skill that we need. Um, and you can't really practice it, even if you're shooting slow, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and Brad here comments on Facebook. And certainly I'd like to hear from other participants on Facebook live today uh, of, you know, other rules or restrictions that your local range might have that prohibits you from training in the way you'd like to train. And Brad here says that's one our local range allows. Uh, big big one for me is target at backstop. Um yeah, it's, this is very common, and there's a good reason for it, right? So, like, you've got your backstop or your berm, your rear berm, um, and that's a certain size, you know? And the closer you bring the target to you or the further you move that, that target away from the berm, the more likely it becomes that shots intended for that target uh, may actually pass by the berm, over the berm or to a mm-hmm. side of a berm, um, because y- you can create the angle necessary to do that. Or you can s- skip skip rounds too. If you sh- yes. you know hit low, it could you could jump it right over that back berm. Yep. Um, so a common that, one I've seen is yeah, you'll see shots hit the dirt in the ground, and you would think that hitting the dirt, you know, especially even right in front of the berm, like that bullet would still get stopped, and probably most of the time it does. But I have seen it where a bullet will will hit the berm or hit the ground a couple feet in front of the berm. And it skips up, and because now it has a lot shallower of an angle as it approaches that berm, it then skips off the berm and then goes over the berm. I've seen that, and that is—I mean—that's that's an issue. That's a that's a scary, potentially scary issue. Uh, it is irresponsible to have rounds go over berms. Mm-hmm. Okay, the berms are intent; they're there for a reason. They're intended to stop bullets and keep whatever's beyond that safe. Um, and so if we have rounds going over berms, that's, that's an issue. Now, many ranges I've been to are set up in such a way that they minimize that, that risk that they, they recognize that there probably will be a time at some point and maybe more frequently than, than, than some other ranges were just depending on the setup of range and what that range is used for. I mean, some ranges are set up for action shooting. They, they host competitions there. And when you got thousands and thousands of rounds being thrown down range during the course of a weekend for a competition, like you're almost guaranteed or bound to have at least one of those rounds somehow make it over a berm. And that's not necessarily excusing the, the matter, but a lot of times these ranges will be set up so that, you know, they're, they're pointing in a way or set up in such a way that there's a mile or two that direction. Uh, that, uh, if something goes over it, it, you know, shouldn't in theory, uh, land anywhere where it's inhabited. Um, and so anyway, that's, that's a great point. Um, just, just recognize that we, we do need to, and even if you have your own personal range or you shoot at a range where you're able to set up targets at different distances from the berm, or where you're able to shoot and move, or you're able to shoot from different positions, uh, recognize, okay, that because in the moment, you might not necessarily think of this. And I've almost made this mistake where even with a target placed close to the berm, if you are really close to the target and you suddenly take a knee or you're trying to shoot from a prone position, then you run the risk of actually shooting through that target and shooting over the berm because now you're down at this low angle and your target's, you know, you're shooting up into the target. If that berm is not super tall or the target's not right on that berm, then you do run absolute risk of just shooting right over the berm. And that's a bigger issue than something that skips up and over a berm because something that skips over the berm has lost a lot of energy. But when you're firing around directly over, you know, just, you're, you're just, you might as well just hold that gun up in the air and just 
pop off some rounds. You know, those are full velocity, you know, at 40, 45 degrees, they're going to maximize the distance they travel and uh, that they can go a mile, mile and a half, two miles, two and a half miles, depending on the round that's being fired. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's reasons why we have some of these rules. Um, let's see. We got some other comments coming in. Uh, David says he typically shoots at an indoor range and places his table on, on his pistol on the table in front of him. I try to pick it up quickly and shoot to mimic drawing and firing. Yeah. It's not exactly the same thing. Right. But, uh, I mean, that's, yeah. Well, so let's talk about this now. Let's talk about that first big elephant in the room, which is, and this is cause this is just so common. We see this at so many ranges where you cannot draw from the holster while you're on the firing line and shoot. So yeah. how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. So, um, David makes a good point about, you know, it's not what he's doing as far as like putting the, the, the gun on the, on the bench, picking it up, you know, it's, it's not the same, obviously the same stroke or the same movements that are involved in, in drawing, but the concept of bringing the gun up and being able and having to, you know, kind of pick up the gun and, and then acquire sights as opposed to already having it at that, you know, number two position or however somebody breaks down their draw, um, like a high ready where you're just punching it out. It is a little bit different. So I think, um, what he, you know, what Dave is doing is it, and some people will say, Oh, you're building a, a, a training scar by doing that. Cause you're not going to do that in real life. I, I don't, I don't buy into that philosophy as far as what he's doing here. Um, you know, he's doing what he can within the confines of, uh, the range. And I think it's good. Um, you know, another thing, you know, that that's important, like I kind of mentioned was you could come from that high ready position because that's part of the draw stroke, you know, whether it's one, two, or, you know, the, the second position or third position up your high ready, um, that's part of your draw stroke. So if you can dr- train that part, at least, and you're, you're, you're presenting the gun from that position, then you have basically the second half of your draw stroke, the presentation of the gun part and that you can train. Um, and then, you know, it's the, the rest of it is kind of training the first half of the draw, which is clearing the garment and getting it up to that number two position. So, and you can do that dry firing, um, which, you know, is beneficial. And then, you know, it's not ideal, right? It's it much better, obviously, to be able to go through the whole process, but, um, within the confines of what you can do, um, those are two definitely viable options you can yeah. do in in place of actually coming from the holster. Dude, I think you're nailing it on the head. You know, like if, if you are at a range that prohibits drawing from a holster to present to the target, uh, which is valuable practice. I mean, that's definitely something you should be doing in dry practice all the time. Uh, at least at a fairly regular basis, it shouldn't be the only thing you practice in dry in dry fire practice, but it should be something that is practiced regularly. I'll tell you, on a daily basis, I get draw stroke practice be, because admittedly, I mean, I, I sometimes, and I think this is probably true of most concealed carriers because most of us probably are not actually able to carry in the exact same position every day the same way. I mean, some, yes, probably. Okay, I know some of you out there will be like, oh, I carry the same same way all the time, every day. And that's cool. Like props to you. Um, but because of my lifestyle, what I'm doing, where I'm going, the activities I'm participating in, like that's not practical for me. Right. So one way you can minimize 
I, I carry 90 plus percent of the time now in the appendix position. And so I do a lot of practice from that position because that's the position that I'm most likely to be using. But at the same time, you know, the, the concern would be that I get so used to coming from this position that on a day that I might switch to OWB three o'clock or IWB four o'clock or pocket or something that I will go here first and realize my gun's not there. Shoot. And then you're fumbling and going for the, for the, wherever it is on days that I'm carrying in a, in a different position. Really the reality is every day, whenever I put my gun on, okay, I make sure that I'm safe, that I'm, you know, safe direction, unloaded, whatever I will do about 10 presentations. Okay. And I'll start slow-ish. Okay. I'll probably do five that are, that are fairly deliberate and, and precise. And then I'll do about five more repetitions, just gradually going a little faster, a little faster. Okay. Until I'm going basically max speed. All right. And, and that's just a way that before you kind of go out the door for the day, you're, you're getting those, you know, you, muscle memory works both in terms of the sheer volume of times that you've done something, but also how recently you've done it too, right? It's a combination of both. And so uh, by doing something fresh, you know, recently, like just this morning, it, it sort of re, uh, what's the word? It, it confirms in your, in your mind, it reaffirms that, hey, I remember, you know, when I, when I got to go draw, draw, go for that gun and draw, I remember this morning I holstered here, right? Like this is where the gun is. This is what I practiced this morning. You're just repeating what you did, you know, two hours ago sort of thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's one way to kind of minimize that. My, but I I kind of got a little bit derailed here um, because I'm going to say that, that dry fire practice is where you should be getting the most reps working from the holster because it's easy and it's cheap. It's free actually. And, and it's safe. You, and safe. You can do it all the time and, and it's easy to do, right? Um if I'm at the range and I'm in a situation where I can't draw at that range from the holster, then probably I like David's idea of having that gun on the table and I'm going to pick up the gun and I'm going to, you know, practice that. And that has relevance too, right? There is mm-hmm. the, 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 like, that's not Getting bad practice. Safe. That's not that different than I keep, you know, my, my nightstand gun in a nightstand safe, a quick access safe. That that's that's that that's the same skill, you know. If I had to use that in the middle of the night, I'm waking up, I'm unlocking the quick access safe, and I'm picking up a gun. It's not on a table, but it's basically the same thing: picking that up and putting it into use. So I like that, and you were right right in line with me, Matthew, as far as okay. So pick it up off the table, but then come in here to the chest and present out like you would from a normal draw stroke. Right. Mm-hmm. And even if you're at a range where they prohibit drawing from the holster, I would seriously doubt that they would prohibit you from coming here in a high compressed ready and then presenting out to the target. Okay. And at the very least, that's what I would do is I would get a ton of repetitions at the, you know, at the live fire range of coming from high center chest, which is where virtually all draw sto- stro- draw all draw strokes end up meeting or should meet, meaning whether I draw from here, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, or appendix, I should end up coming here because this is where I join my hands and I begin pushing out to the target. For consistency, that that's how I teach all students you know, as far as drawing from a holster. At some point, you end up in this position, and that's the kind of practice that that is very valuable because you can do that at virtually all ranges, and 
that practice of presenting out from the target in a straight line, not fishing the gun, not bowling with the gun, picking up the front sight, putting it on target quickly, and pre- and, and taking that first shot, that is a valuable skill. Um, and that's one that you can do at the range and get a lot of repetitions with. For sure. So what else you got, buddy, as far as... Uh, yeah. I'm, 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 I'd like to hear more from you. Cause I just like took 10 minutes. <laughs> no, no, no. And, you know, I think, um, one thing that I wanted to mention about like training at, especially an indoor range, cause that's typically where we get a lot of the restrictions. Um, and typically where, you know, I just see people just going and unloading a bunch of, bunch of rounds. Um, think of like what I think of when I go to the, an indoor range is like shrink everything that you're doing down. Like, don't try to get these big bullseye targets and run it out to like 50 yards because you can't really do what you want to do in an indoor range. So, so what I would do is get smaller targets that have smaller zones that you want to hit and, and put them at closer ranges, like, you know, three yards, five yards, 10 yards, something like that. And then focus on a little bit more precision. You can still move. Like, uh, here's here's a target, right? That if you go to um, pistoltraining.com, they have tons and tons of, of drills there. It's a and great you can resource. Out, absolutely. And you can print out just a simple um, target like this. Hang it up and run it out to like five yards and practice like transitioning from this one to this one. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you'll find that it's, it's more difficult than you think because now you're shrinking down the zone and you're causing yourself to kind of traverse and have to repick up your sights. Yeah. So you get much more out of that. You're not going to shoot as many rounds as if you just crank that, you know, you look to your side and you're like, okay, that guy's at 10 yards, that guy's at 15. I'm going 25 because I'm better, you know? And so like you just end up plinking, you know, you're just, yep. uh, X shooting that, that center of the target. So, um, just shrink down like your, your mindset of what you can do because you know, you're restricted, shrink down your target areas and make it more difficult. So you can go, you know, two shots in that circle, two shots in that circle, and just kind of work inside that parameter and work the things you can work. And I think you'll get much more out of it than, you know, just trying to crank out the distance to, to prove that you can shoot distance. Yeah. I dude, <laughs> I swear, were we like switched at birth or separated? You know, like possibly <laughs> because cause I swear we we aligned we aligned on so many things on this. Um, people would probably be surprised. I have I have a local. You know, it's like two minutes away from my house, an indoor range for my week to week practice. I'm not able to travel an hour and a half out to the main range where we film a lot of our videos and stuff. At I can't do that even on a weekly basis, I just don't have that, that much available time. Um, there are times where I do probably go out there about once a week, but usually it's for work and work is not always the same thing as me working on, uh, a, a skill or, or something for me, you know? Um, so I have a local indoor range now I am able to draw from a holster there, and I, I like this indoor range because one thing they do is they um, they allow you to draw from holster if you've taken certain levels of courses from them, okay, or you are law enforcement, okay, um, and so that's kind of cool. I like that. 
Um, cause they at least give you that option. Like, Hey, there is a way, Oh, by the way, take this level 200 class from us. And then you can draw from a holster on the firing line. Cool. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's, I think, and I think that's reasonable, but mm-hmm. anyway, so I do a lot of practice at an indoor range, pistol range. They do have an indoor rifle range. It's really cool. By the way, for an indoor range, they have a hundred yard rifle range. That's amazing for an indoor range. Wow. Yeah. It's basically a bunker that just extends, uh, you know, hundred yards. Um, like the whole back of their parking lot is, is like the, to the side of the parking lot underneath there is, you know, this, wow. this indoor hundred yard range. The pistol side is 15 yards. People would probably be surprised how little time I spend practicing there beyond five or seven. Seven is even, you know, a little bit of a push. I probably spend most of my indoor range practice at five, three to five yards. Mm-hmm. Like number one, that's where I think it's more effective for me as a defensive minded shooter. Number two, at those distances, I'll do the same thing, Matthew. I'll put up a couple of little, I'll even use little silhouettes. Okay. And I've printed some of my own or whatever and taken them down there and their backer targets like 30 inches wide and three feet tall. And you can put, you know, a couple of those little mini silhouettes on that target. And at three yards, I'm still within like at that range, as long as I'm within the trap, Okay, as Mm -hmm. far as where my shots are passing through to, then I'm good. And at three yards, a little silhouette that's, you know, like a quarter size or eighth of a size, at three yards, I get pretty good movement and transitioning between those targets. And, you know, it's still a a reasonable challenge. You know, it's it's harder than it looks. So, you know, this is me at the indoor range. Three, maybe five yards, little targets. I'm shooting fairly rapidly. And everybody else there is like 10 yards, 15 yards, yeah, you know, exactly. slow fire. And they're probably like, man, that dude, like, well, I could shoot like that at three yards too. But, <laughs> you know, I, I go there for with a specific purpose in mind. And it's it's practicing uh, what aligns for me most closely to defensive shooting uh, in a confined space. So, by the way, in talking about this, we kind of covered another restriction that a lot of, in, especially indoor ranges will have. And that would be the ability to use multiple targets. Okay, mm-hmm. well, if you're limited to that one backer board, we'll then put up a bunch of little targets on it, and then you get target transitions as well. Yeah, and, and I agree. Um, even Doyle said, you, you know, you can put a, uh, get a paper plate and just put a, you know, a small circle to encircle in it. Be, you know, I, I totally recommend printing out targets before you go. Bring little, you could get a package of sticky notes and just like those little, post-it notes and stick it up on a backer and, Those are great and like, targets and they're cheap too. Yeah. Right. And like, so think outside of the box as far as like what you can do, like, obviously, you know, it's gotta be paper, but, um, you know, and, and one thing, make sure that you have some sort of backer because if it's just paper, um, at three or five or whatever, if you start shooting rapidly, that paper is going to start like blowing back and it's, it's not like ideal as far as like trying to impact. So get something that you can attach these targets to that's not going to swing so much and blow in the wind. Uh, but yeah, and, and for the, you know, as much as you can try to resist worrying about, I'm, I'm not talking about safety wise, but try to resist worrying about what everybody else is doing. Like mm-hmm. as far as what they're shooting, how they're shooting, what distances, um, because, I'm, I'm telling you, you fall into a trap of like, okay, that guy's doing this. I got to kind of show him that like, I can still shoot. So I'm going to, you know, shoot a magazine at this distance. And then you just kind of break out of your goal uh, of what you got there and what you set out to do. And so, you know, co- go with a goal, go with a, a, an idea and stay within the framework. So, 
Yeah. How about not being able to shoot and move? Let's let's suppose, Matthew, you've got a three foot by three foot box, which is kind of mm-hmm. like what you end up with at a lot of indoor uh, or laned ranges. Uh, how can we, you know, maximize our our the effectiveness of our training when we can't move outside this three by three box? Yeah, so that it makes it extremely difficult, and that's that's a huge challenge um, for anybody, and especially you know when you're in indoor range, um, you know they got a camera on you. You know if you do anything, like even if you start like moving from one side of the thing to the other, they're going to be like, oh, 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 what are you doing? Um, so it's difficult. Um, what I would say is try to. What you can do is try when you're transitioning, work in transitioning drills, and work in like actually. A difference between transitioning with the gun extended and transitioning between targets like that and work on sometimes, tr- sh- you know, transition from I engage this target, I come back to the high ready, and then I punch out to this target because it's not like you're moving. But for me, at least my my mindset is that like, if I'm moving, um, I may be moving to a position, right? So I shoot, I move to a position, I reacquire my sights and I shoot again. So I'm kind of trying to replicate that by shooting a target before I transition across the, you know, like I have three dots before I go from the right dot to the left dot, I'll come back to the high ready, kind of simulating, okay, I'm moving. And then I punch back out. So it's, you know, it's not ideal. Like I said, it's it's so difficult to practice shooting and moving. Um, live fire at a, at a range that doesn't, doesn't let you move. So you got to like, kind of think of drills outside the box that would incorporate some of those same skills. Yeah. One thing I, I like doing is let's say you got this three by three box and that's pretty much, like I said, that's what you got. Uh, you might not want to quite go three feet back. As soon as you start getting off that firing line, that, that makes a lot of our ROs nervous, but side to side, you should have about three feet. Um, if your stance is about two feet wide, okay, um, which I think is a decent balanced stance, you're, you're not doing anything, any of this crazy, you know, like you know, putting your feet way wide as you're trying to shoot stuff like that. I don't think that's really realistic or reasonable. It's not what I teach either. But let's say you're standing there, you got your feet about two feet wide, and you kind of kind of like touch your shoulder on the left side of the, a lot of times the indoor shooting lanes, you know, you got your little walls, right? So let's say you're touching your left shoulder on, on the left uh, wall. And uh, you're gonna, you can't come out of the holster, let's suppose. So you're starting from a high compressed ready and you're just practicing this presentation idea. Well, some very little thing that you can do that at least helps somewhat is to just take a half step to the right as you begin pre- presenting out. Okay. And so, and then even as you're firing, you could still be firing at your target and take a little half step, you know, to the right, take a half step to the left. And it might look a little silly. It might look a little ridiculous, but there is still some value in that because one thing you learn when you're shooting on the move and particularly is that to shoot accurately while on the move, uh, you, you kind of need to, you know, you, you sort of learn the cadence, at least this is what I see shooters do. Probably some shooters don't pay attention to cadence, uh, don't pay attention to, to their feet and when they're most smooth in their in their uh, steps. You know, as far as the ideal time to press a trigger. But uh, for me, you know, typically when I have a foot in the air is when I'm smoothest. Right? It's when a foot hits the ground that you get this little bit of a tremor in your body, right? Because mm-hmm. yep. a little shockwave, right? So it's when you are somewhere mid-air when you're walking 
or running and shooting that you're smoothest, okay? And so you can still be firing and, and, and you kind of learn that cadence of sorts that when I pick up my right foot to step half, half a, a step to the right, I'm going to shoot when that foot's in the air. And then as my left foot comes over to meet, when it's in the air, I'm going to take another shot. You know, like it's, you can, it's not perfect. It's, it's not nearly as good as being able to be in a, in a class, you know, like what we teach in the Triple Guardian uh, curriculum where you're going to learn pretty extensively shooting on the move. But at least it's something, okay? And that, that this is all about maximizing these opportunities when you're at a range where you can't do that kind of stuff. So, so that, that's just another little tip. And I would encourage the same anytime you have to do a reload or if you're practicing malfunction clearing or you have a legitimate malfunction on the range, uh, short of a suspected squib, which I would recommend you, you deal with and treat as a squib. But if you have a, a stovepipe malfunction or something or, or a reload while you're at a range like this, well... Take a half step to the right. Take a half, you know, and maybe even keep moving as you're trying to deal with that reload or clearing that malfunction, so that you encourage yourself that when you are actually in the real world environment or you're on a on a less than standard range as far as a range where you can do this realistically, we want to see students that are moving when they're having to reload and moving when they're clearing a malfunction. So you can mm-hmm. still simulate that a little bit even in a confined space like an indoor range. Uh, Doyle says we can practice is also important. Absolutely. And it's a great opportunity to practice that. I try to make sure I get a little, we can practice every time I'm at, at the indoor range. Uh, because once again, I can't do some of the things I do at the other range. So I have a little more time to maybe focus on some of those other things that maybe I, I probably don't do as much of that when I'm at the, the more fun range. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was just going to say that like when, when we have the opportunity to do this, you know, more dynamic training, we do it right. We're shooting, moving, we're barricades, we're, you know, coming out of the holster and we kind of don't get a chance to kind of just kind of bring it down, you know, shrink down what, what, what our focus is and just work on like one handed shooting off, you know, weak handed shooting. Um, and, and you'd be surprised like how, I mean, I, you know, I, I injured, I actually injured my shoulder. And so, um, I've been doing basically everything with my, my right hand. So we went to the range and I tried shooting with two hands. I just, my, my shoulders just, it's done. So, um, so I, I did a lot of one-handed shooting yesterday and I actually, you know, enjoyed it in a different way than I would have if I would have been out on the range, because if I'd been out on the range, I would have been shooting, moving, doing different things coming out of the holster. But like just the fact of like presenting, shooting these little target zones, um, it was, it was fun for me. Um, it's something I don't normally do. So to your point, yeah, definitely like focus on those things that you typically don't do when you have the ability to yeah. do all this other stuff. And one handed shooting, like you and Doyle, uh, mentioned is, is something that we kind of, you know, kind of put to the side sometimes. It's a, it's a great tip. Do work when you're at the restrictive range. And then if you have another range, it's an option where you can, where you can be freed up to do some of the other fun things, uh, still work in my, in my world. Like I, I treat everything fairly seriously. Occasionally I have fun, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but do, do the like less fun things when you're at a range that's more restrictive. So do the mm-hmm. work there, right? And, and then you can spend time on other things, maybe more exciting things when you're at a less restrictive range. Okay, so uh, uh, not able to move and shoot, not able to draw from holster, rapid fire. That's a tough one. 
I, I don't know what to say, you know, other than try to occasionally get to another range where you can, you know, push the split times a little bit more quickly, uh, you know, practice, uh, you know, the, those rapid, more rapid uh, fire strings, uh, dry fire with a cert pistol. But short of choosing a different range, that that's a tough one. And I, I, I really dislike some of those ranges that uh, are really, really uptight about, you know, anything more than, uh, one or two shots in a second, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't. I don't know what to do beyond that. Other than it's another opportunity. Well, okay, then that's an opportunity to, to do work as far as okay. Focus on the accuracy things that you yep. might do. Right. Focus yep. on making those those really critical uh, uh, shots that have to count, and then try to find a a, 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 a place that you can practice shooting more rapidly as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say one other thing that you can do to kind of enhance your shooting, uh, uh, you know, time at an indoor range or a range that's restrictive is try to, you could use part times to make things a little bit more interesting and a little bit more fun, not where you're having to shoot rapid fire to, to, you know, meet the part times, but just to put a little bit more st- pressure on you. Um, because obviously, you know, if you're at an indoor range and you try to use a shot timer, you're going to be picking up everybody else's shots. It's going to be difficult, but a part-time you could set a, you know, three second part-time. I want to get three shots in each of these targets. I set a three second part-time most time, you know, phones have a timer or you can get shot timer, uh, that just gives you a part-time hit it. And, you know, and and just work on part-times and that'll work on your, uh, kind of your, your cadence, um, and how you present the gun and things like that without having you have to force to shoot rapidly. Yep. So, yep. Now, Jason, Jason here comments, please note, there's a huge difference between rapid fire and controlled groupings or controlled pairs or controlled shooting period. And guess what? I use the, the terminology rapid fire quite, uh, probably more loosely than what I should, Jason, as an instructor. Um, I, I don't ever believe in shooting faster than what you can, you know, than, than what you, yeah, like it's whatever's appropriate for the target, right? So a uh, torso sized, you know, target at three yards, I can shoot as fast as I, and even at five yards to a degree, um, I can push it about as fast as I physically can work that trigger. Um, that That's where my skill level is right now. Maybe even seven yards, like, you know, like I, I have to be a little more careful at seven, but uh but you know, like that's, I can keep everything in the acceptable range as far as, you know, accuracy is concerned as fast as possible at that distance. Right. It's beyond that. Or when the target gets really small, right. Uh, dot torture drill. I love dot torture drills. Um, where, you know, you got like the two inch circle and you're, you start the, you start that drill a lot of times at, at three yards. It's harder than it looks. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's, you know, and you get to the point of the dot, dot torture drill where you're shooting like controlled pairs. So like you take two shots at one dot and then you take two shots at the next dot. And then further down, you do a shot at one dot and you reload and you do, you know, like, so, um, the tendency on that drill where most people really start to fail is they, they try to push the, the rat, you know, the string of fire too quickly for what the acceptable, uh, uh, accuracy that's, that's required. Mm -hmm. So. Anyway, yeah, I know Jason. I know you know. I know, but that, and it, but I'm I'm happy to make that clarification that 
I, I get a little frustrated when I go to the range and, and I see this a lot where shooters are just there and they're just bang, 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 bang. And there's no purpose behind what they're doing. There's no real training or practice that's occurring. It's just for fun. And you know what? It's okay just to have fun sometimes, but I really don't believe in not having controlled fire like ever. Um, so anyway, cool. Um, Matthew, anything else? Last, we got to kind of start wrapping up here because, uh, because of Matthew's, uh, available time. Yeah, it's my fault. (laughs) No, No. but we, I mean, we could probably expand on a lot of this stuff. And I know initially we thought, Hey, an hour would be plenty of time to talk about this, but yeah, we got into some stuff that I, I think we could even dive into a little deeper if we had more time. But I, I guess my, my biggest thing is don't, don't, think that just because you can't do everything at a restrictive range that you can't do good, you you can't get good uh, benefits out of what you're doing there. Now, ideally, yes, you want to go to a range where you can do all this stuff, right? But if you don't, um, don't, don't sell yourself short and be like, oh, I'm not going to go shoot there because I can't do anything. You know, work on what you can and then work on getting to a place where you can do the other stuff. So yeah, that's, you know, my little two cents. And, and I would just, my last words on this uh, would be uh, use your imagination, right? As long as it's within the limits of safety then and within the rules of wherever it is you're shooting, because it's definitely no fun to be kicked out of wherever you are, but, but use your imagination yourself, guys. I would encourage you all. And if you have further suggestions and tips and you want to hit us up at podcast at concealedcarry.com, do. Uh, I'm all for like learning something new. Like some somebody is at the range one day and they're like, well, I wonder if I did this, if it would, you know, allow me to practice this other skill, you know, that I had never really considered before while I'm on this tight, restricted shooting lane. So use your imagination and do what you can to maximize those opportunities when you're at those restrictive ranges. And then also make sure that you are, that you're maximizing your time and training at home doing dry fire. Cause there's so many things you can do at home. And I just remembered, or just realized there's one thing we did miss that most indoor ranges especially and many ranges don't allow you to shoot at a position other than standing or maybe sitting and so you Mm -hmm. can't practice kneeling or prone or stuff like that and so once again that's an opportunity that in your dry fire practice sessions make sure you're practicing those different skills as well and then try occasionally to get to a range that's maybe a little further away where you can do that at the range as well during doing live fire matthew what's your pick of the week this week buddy Oh, you know what? I'm going to go with uh, the belt that I have on right here. It's uh, Blue Alpha Gear. It's Blue Alpha Gears, uh, yeah. low-profile EDC. It just has this plastic uh, loop over here and the Velcro. And so all of you guys that you know carry appendix and use the Cobra buckle or typical buckle, and you're constantly trying to have to move it to the right or left to be able to you know, get you, get your holster, uh, positioned in, in the right way. This is it, low profile. It doesn't provide any, you know, extra bulk in that area. So I, I love it. I've always wanted, you know, to get a nice belt like that. I just put it off for so long. And, uh, this one is awesome from blue alpha gear. So cool. I, yeah. I like blue alpha gear stuff. It's good stuff, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that belt looks awesome. I mean, that's a, that's about as simple a belt as you can do, right? Yeah, like absolutely. Belt material, buckle, Velcro, loop mm-hmm. the belt through, secure with Velcro. Yep. Hey, let's stop trying to reinvent the wheel. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a, a pretty decent uh, concealed uh, solution. I uh, my pick this week is actually kind of a mix of two picks. 
Um, recently, I was invited to join the NSR Tactical uh, Facebook group by Buell Collins. Buell is uh, the marketing director at uh, Fioki Ammunition. And I get, got on there, and, and uh, it's a pretty, pretty good group of guys. Uh, good conversation going on a lot of times. Now, some of them are maybe a little hard, more hard-headed than I, than, I, than I care for on some particular issues or, or ideas or 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 types of guns that are acceptable for use, but but it's all good. Uh, good good conversations happening on that group. Um, NSR Tactical is a company that makes uh, makes good quality concealed carry holsters, and uh, I've been familiar with them for a long time, but I've never owned one of their holsters, and so I decided to give them a, sh- a shot. Uh, I happened to discover in this group that there is a gun store in my local vicinity, like ten minutes away. That I didn't even know existed. Uh, now they are. I think they are still kind of new, like a maybe two years old or so. Um, but it's called New Sparta Combat Sports, uh, based here in the Lakewood, Colorado area. Actually, they're technically in Littleton uh, by address, but it's uh, pretty close to me. And uh, so, New New Sparta Combat Sports, uh, owned by Dave and Matt. Uh, and, uh, they are a dealer for NSR tactical holsters. And so I hit him up. I said, Hey guys, I didn't even know you guys existed. I want to come check out your store. And I understand you sell NSR tactical holsters, which NSR typically has a three to five week wait. So I was able to walk into their store and walk out minutes later with this NSR holster. And I believe this is the C8 model. I, they, you know, when, when models are named after like letters and numbers, I don't remember crap. I believe this is the C8. I could be wrong. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this is for the SIG P320 and I've been carrying and using it a little bit and it's a great holster. It's got two good, good loops there. I've mounted it, by the way, sorry, I should be clear here. I've mounted it to, this is the, uh, I put a little wedge on the back as well. You see the wedge Velcro, uh, neoprene, uh, wedge, but I've mounted this to a, uh, Filster Flex which I, I think is a really cool product. And I've mounted a number of holsters to the Filster Flex. Uh, allows you to just mount some other gear. I've, I've mounted tourniquet carriers and stuff to this. Um, so the folks are not supposed to be on the Filster Flex, but the NSR Tactical Holster I've been very impressed with. And also the guys down there, Dave and Matt, at New Sparta Combat Sports in Littleton, Colorado. So appreciate them and wanted to give them a little shout out. That's my pick of the week this week. And so it's time to wrap it up and let Matthew go so he can go do his thing. Thanks, folks, for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, just a reminder that today's episode is sponsored by Guardian Nation. You can learn more at guardiannation.com. And also, you want to check out, because you just have a couple of days to do this, the Law of Self-Defense webinar replay available at concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D webinar. And take advantage of the special offers available only for a limited time. Um, but you got to go and view and, and check out that webinar replay. So, and, uh, if you missed the uh, live webinars, we're sorry we missed you. It was a good time. Uh, and, and see the feedback was, was overwhelmingly positive from participants. So anyway, that is a wrap for today's episode. Matthew, uh, any big plans this weekend, buddy? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm a boring guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do anything. Well, actually there's a, there's a thing at my daughter's, uh, uh, school. It's like tonight. So it's like a little family gathering thing. So awesome, man. that's uh, pretty cool. So that's my, that's my, uh, <laughs> weekend. Well, I'm going to try to make it to the range. We'll see. Uh, it'll, it'll be the indoor range just cause I know with everything I got going on this weekend, 
if anything, I'll be able to slip away for an hour and head down there and do a little little practice. But that's probably about the extent of it. So a reminder to everyone to be safe out there and hope you, you make some time also to get out, shoot, uh, take your kids and educate them and, and have a good time and do so safely. And a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.